Are you ready to study God's Word today? That's why we're here. And so if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible so that you can follow along. We'll have most of the stuff on the screens, but it's great to have it uh, in your own copy of God's Word, or even if you do that digitally on your phone or on your device. And we're in the second week of the series that's going to continue into August called Forward Together, where we're trying to answer the question, maybe even before we talk about where we're going, we need to know who do we want to be as a church. And a lot of that, it's not new. It's what has been the foundation of this church for decades. But how can we make sure that everything that we do is rooted and founded upon the, the, uh, the foundation of God's Word in Scripture? And so last week, we introduced this question that we started to wrestle with. And the question is this, what is it that makes a church great? And we found that people have all different kinds of answers to this question. Some people think that a great church has to be a busy church. The more programs, the better, that it has to meet every single need. And if there's not something for absolutely every type of person, then it can't possibly be a great church. Some people say that a great church is a missions-minded church, that it has to be completely focused on overseas missions as the number one priority. Some say that it has to be growing, that if it's not growing bigger this year than last year, then surely it cannot be a great church. Some think, people think it's all about the, the programming and the organization and that, that you know, there has to be the five-year plan and that has to be a certain type of leadership. Some people say that it has to be a small church. You know, it has to be a nice little family where everybody knows each other. Some people say that it has to have a certain kind of music or certain kinds of symbolism or elements. And even Christians at times will begin to fight amongst themselves over this question of what it is that is necessary to be part of a great church. But we said, what if, what if it is, in fact, none of those things that we often fight over or fight for? What if, in fact, maybe some of those things might be found in a church that happens to be great, but they're not what actually make that particular church great? And so last week, we began to look at the teachings of Paul, and, and we asked the question, well, why should we even care what Paul thinks? Who is this guy, Paul? And we said in the New Testament that Paul was this guy who, who was messed up and headed in the wrong direction in his life, but then he had a radical experience with God on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed. And from the rest of his life, he devoted to helping uh, start new churches and to help those churches be effective in their mission of reaching their communities for Christ. And so we, we mentioned how in many ways it is because in great part of those, those churches that Paul himself helped start and lead that we are even here worshiping today 2,000 years later. And so if anybody would know what makes a church great, it would be Paul, yes? And so with every church, he tried to instill in them three qualities. Do you remember what they were? Okay, here we go. We'll do it together. Everybody repeat after me. The first one was faith. faith. The, oh, this side's doing great. This side needs a little catching up to do. Let's try it again. The first thing Paul was looking for was faith. faith. The second one was hope. hope. The third one was love. 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 In fact, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, which Paul says, in the end, 
when everything else has passed away, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Paul said any measure of greatness or anything of significance that comes out of our lives is going to be rooted in these three things. And then we looked at John chapter 13 and chapter 14 to study the teachings of Jesus. And we said that, in fact, this came directly from the teaching of Jesus, that, that he told the disciples this is what he was trying to develop in them. But then last week we took a little detour. You remember, we, we, we then looked at the first three chapters of Acts, and we saw in chapter 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Acts that, that they had their priorities straight. And that a priority means that while there are many things that are good and valuable and important that we can be doing, and many things that it would be good to be doing, that we cannot do everything. We cannot meet every need, and we can't, especially we can't do everything at the same time. And so there have to be some priorities that are set in place. And we saw three priorities of the early church in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3. The first was this, that they put anointing comes before activity. Everybody say that together. Anointing comes before activity. And so we saw that, that in Acts chapter 1, you cannot do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God. And we talked about the trap that we often fall into where as families and as individuals, we start running around in busyness doing all kinds of good and important and valuable things. It's not necessarily the things that we're doing are bad, but that, but that in the midst of it all, many times our busyness can lead to a bust in our lives. And then we get tired and we get burned out. And how often people will even leave the church and say, you know what, I tried all that Jesus stuff. I tried all the activities of the church. My life really wasn't transformed. All I ended up was with a case of being tired and burned out. And we said because that is the danger of doing the work of God apart from the anointing of God. When our activities are not preceded by his anointing. And so last week we laid out the call for prayer ministry. You were invited to two things. Before we get into those two things, I do want to highlight, we also, when it comes to this item, uh, this evening are going to be at Glad Tidings. And we've been talking about that the last month or so with the Canada on track tour, meaning in every province, province there is a central gathering for people to come up together and pray for their cities and to pray for their province. And the gathering in New Brunswick is tonight. We're part of that. Dr. Buckingham is going to be one of the leaders this evening. Uh, I'm going to be one of the leaders tomorrow evening. That's going to be at Glad Tidings tonight and tomorrow night at 7 p.m., and, and we won't even get into the value of unity because uh, so important, so important, so important that Jesus said they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we don't love each other in the church, if we don't have unity among the churches in a city, then people won't truly know that Jesus is real and alive. And so that's what, that's what the priority is tonight and tomorrow night. But two things that we highlighted last week in particular, though, for our church specifically here in this place, and the first one was prayer team at 10. And so I was so excited to join with all the people who gathered in the North Hall of the atrium right out these doors 
at the north entrance, and we had a large group that broke out into prayer groups all up and down that hallway that I'm starting to think of as the prayer hall. And, uh, and it, was, it was beautiful hearing the voices of all the people calling upon God for His anointing. Every week, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we also have other prayer groups that meet here and in the children's ministry and in other places throughout the building as different teams are getting ready for Sunday morning. Number two, we invited you to a special summer rising this Tuesday night. So we're going to be all prayed up this week, tonight and tomorrow night at Glad Tidings, and then Tuesday night right here in the Celebration Center. And there is no program. If you come expecting a fancy show or a program or some ministry that is highly organized, you will be sorely disappointed on Tuesday night. Because there is one agenda Tuesday night, and it is prayer. And so we'll be here at 6.30. We have children's ministry for uh, nursery and, and preschool. But for all the rest of the families, we would encourage you to come and pray together. And we're going to pray inside and outside and upstairs and downstairs and all over the place that God's anointing would be here in this place. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. The success of the early church, it wasn't their ministries. It was the presence and power of God. It wasn't their music. It was the presence and power of God. It wasn't their pastor or the preaching or their programming. It was the presence and power of God. Because God's anointing needs to come before any of our activities. And let me just finish with this thought. That a busy church and a busy life apart from the presence and power of God is a recipe for disaster. It will fall apart. Number two, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we saw that quality comes before quantity. Everybody say that together. Quality comes before quantity. And so we saw that the early church started out with just 120 people. But those 120, they were committed, they were praying, they were quality. And in one day, they had 3,000 people come to Jesus. Now, I want you to just picture that for just a second. Imagine if in the city of Moncton or if in, in Dieppe or in Riverview, all of a sudden there was a, a single place where in one day... 3,000 people came to Jesus. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Imagine that for a second. And yet it's not as crazy as we might think. We saw last week in Acts chapter 2, in 1 and 2, that if, if just 120 people were, were to commit themselves to bringing one person to Jesus, that in one year that 100 people would be 200 people. And if the next year every single person were to commit themselves to reaching one person. I mean, how many of us, we say, you know, I can't reach a whole city, but I could try to target one person with the love of Jesus. I could pray for one person who I'm targeting in prayer for their salvation that I'm inviting to church. One person that I'm pouring into and investing in that relationship so that they'll come to Christ. That, 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 that 100 would become 200, and then the next year that 200 would become 400, and the next year that 400 would become 800, and the next year 1600, and the next year over 3,000 in just five years. Folks, it's so simple that if just 100 
people were to get serious about reaching just one person, if you could invest in at least just one relationship every year and see one person come to Christ every year, in five years, that 100 could bring 3,000 into Christ's kingdom. That is mind-blowing. We can do it. We dared to dream of what it would be like if we had a band of 100 or 120 prayer warriors who joined together in prayer for the lost in Moncton and Dieppe and Riverview and Shediac and Sackville and Salisbury and beyond to the ends of the earth. Number three, spiritual power comes before possessions. And we saw in Acts chapter three that we do not measure the greatness of a church by the size of its crowd, the size of its building, or the size of its budget. That Jesus wasn't rich. The apostles were not rich in money, but they were rich in faith, hope, and love, which is what we are going to talk about for the rest of our time today. So let's get back to Paul. As we established, Paul was a church planter and was incredibly effective at helping mobilize churches to reach their cities and beyond for Jesus. And so let's find Ephesians chapter 1. I'll give you a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes to find Ephesians. And you see that Paul wrote these various letters to the churches in order to both encourage them and to correct them. And what's interesting is that in these letters, he never once asks about their attendance statistics. He never once asks about how their budget is doing. He never once asks about how their sanctuary project is, is progressing or, or how their, their latest concert or event turned out. No, in his letters, Paul evaluates the churches by these Three qualities. What are they? Faith, hope, and what? Love. And so this is so cool. Sometimes I think we could read through the New Testament a hundred times and maybe miss out on this recurring theme if we're not looking for it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And every time you see the word faith, hope, or love, I want you to fill in the blank. I'll stop and you say it, okay? So for this reason, Ephesians 1, 15, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your, what? In the Lord Jesus and your, what? Love for all the saints. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the what? Whoa. To which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance. So what was Paul looking for in the church? Faith, hope, and love. Now from Ephesians, keep on going to two books to the right, to Colossians. This is Paul's letter to the church in Colossus. And he wrote to them in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, and says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your... Oh, come on now, we're losing steam. Here we go. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven 
and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Now look at the next church that he writes to. Right after Colossus, you find 1 Thessalonians. So just a couple of pages to the right, 1 Thessalonians. And as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, I bet you can guess what he's looking for. Do, do you think you can guess? I bet you can. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by what? Your labor prompted by? And your endurance inspired by? And our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're seeing a pattern here, right? Well, maybe, maybe Paul just said this to all the churches, right? Maybe this is just kind of his standard his standard greeting, every time he writes a letter, he starts out emphasizing faith, hope, and love. Actually, no, that is not the case. Because if you go on to this, the next letter that Paul wrote to this very same church in Thessalonica, turn to 2 Thessalonians. I bet you can find it. comes right after what? 1 Thessalonians. You're brilliant. I love it. 1 Thessalonians. And, and so a number of, of years, a, a, a an amount of time has passed between the writing of his first letter to the Thessalonians and the second letter. And look at what has changed between the writing of these two letters. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Now I want you to go ahead and look all the way through chapter 1, kind of scan through. Do you see that there's something missing? What's missing? The word hope. Well, maybe he just forgot to mention the hope thing. Well, actually, no. There is a reason that Paul did not commend them for their hope, and it's because False teachers had started to cause confusion in their church. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go to the next chapter, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So what happened? What happened is that false teachers had begun to tell the people in the church that Jesus had already come back and that they had missed it. And so the people are, are discouraged. They have lost their hope. And so in Paul's evaluation, he does not commend them for their hope because they have lost it. But instead, now what he does is he encourages them. He educates them. He teaches them. He restores their hope by speaking the promises of God over them. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians, a few books to the left. It comes right after Acts and Romans. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you are going to see something that is kind of strange in this letter. And so let's read the introduction to 
the church in Corinth. And this letter starts out just like all the other ones, but look really hard and see what's missing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you. Now take note of that word grace. That's important. We're going to come back to that. For his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all of your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now go ahead, look all the way through this introduction. Look at chapter 1. What, what do you, what's missing? Faith, faith, hope, and love. They're all missing. Why? Well, in verse 4, Paul affirmed that they had received the grace given in Christ Jesus. In other words, what that means is he is not questioning their salvation. He's not saying that they are not Christians because they are. They have received the grace of Christ Jesus. And he even acknowledges in verse 7 that they have great spiritual gifts. They're gifted and talented, but if you study the church in Corinth, you learn that they have not been consistent in their Christian walk. And so unfortunately, he cannot praise them for their faith, hope, and love because while they had all kinds of potential, they were not living up to it. Even though they had all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities, they were just kind of sitting around, lazy in their comfort zone. And look at what Paul says to them in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Which brings us right back to where we started in 1 Corinthians. Now keep going and find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is a very famous passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. It's what we often call the love chapter. Doesn't that sound good? It's the love chapter. And, and, and because of that, this is actually one that I'm very familiar with because at most every wedding ceremony I've ever been invited to officiate, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because it talks about what love is supposed to look like in our relationships. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, Paul says love is patient. He says to them, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not showing off. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you have ever heard this passage before? Most of us. And even though I tend to uh, have had a history of reading this at weddings, really, it was not written for weddings. What it was written for was specifically to give to a church in Corinth, the church that has gotten stuck 
that has lost focus, that has gotten selfish and immature, self-focused. And Paul says, look, he says, you can be the most talented, gifted. He goes through in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, you can do all kinds of wonderful things and you can even declare the truth to the world and shout the promises of God and the truth of scripture to the world. And he said, it's like a, a clanging gong that people just find irritating. And, and people in the world will begin to alienate themselves from the church and push away from Christians when they hear that kind of truth that is not lathered and smothered in grace, right? Do you remember the definition from a few months ago? The definition of love is grace plus truth. And he says, look, you can be the most talented, the most powerful, the most intelligent, the most educated, the most spiritual, the most committed, the most generous people in the world. He says, but without love, it is all in vain. And then he concludes this whole teaching in chapter 13 with verse 13, which is how we started all of this. But in the end, these three remain, say it with me, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. And so what do we do with all this? Well, folks, it's going to take some time for us together to figure out how to implement this into the life of our church together. Uh, and so I don't want to come in and start changing a whole bunch of things because we're doing a lot of things really well. And frankly, of anybody in the room, I probably know less than anybody <laughs> about what's going on and what is happening in the community. And, and, and I have so much to learn about the history of the church and about you and and you have to learn about me, and as we study Scripture together, and as we pray together to discern the direction of God, we have a lot of learning to do first. But here's what I will tell you. I'll give you a little bit of insight into my heart and my history, is that about 18, 19, maybe even 20 years ago, God began to show these three things to me in Scripture. And so in my leadership in whatever capacity God has given me for leadership in the church, is that I have sought to, to evaluate everything that we do through the lens of these three things. How are we doing it, these three things? And notice that they are directional. I, I want to show you in just a second how directional they are, that they all point in various directions. And we believe that the health of the church and the health of our lives as Christians will be based on how we balance these reaching in these three directions. So we're going to put a little circle on the screen. Let me show you this circle that represents the church and it represents you as an individual. It also, if I'm not mistaken, looks a little like a hockey puck. Am, am I right? I, I, it wasn't supposed to be a hockey puck, but I think in Canada everything turns to hockey, yes? And so... So uh, this circle represents both your life and the church because you are in the church and you are the church. And so the first thing that Paul and Jesus said that, that he was looking for is faith. Now, faith. What, what direction is faith reaching? 
Because who is faith in? It's not faith in ourselves. It's not faith in the world. It's not faith in money. Who is our faith in? God, okay? So the direction of faith is reaching up. We know that this is the foundation of life itself, our relationship with God. In fact, the foundation of Judaism from thousands of years ago was, was love the Lord, she called the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And in the coming days, we'll talk more about the Shema as well and, and the foundation of Judaism and how that plays into who we are and where we're headed as Christians today. But folks, faith in God can move mighty mountains. Amen? Amen. Now, what was the next thing that Paul and Jesus were looking for? Hope, exactly, hope. Now, what direction is hope? Hope is reaching in because, how do we know that? Remember 2 Thessalonians? Do you remember what the problem was with that church? That false teachers had said that Jesus had already come back? That, that what had happened is they weren't growing and educating themselves in the truth of God's word in spiritual formation within the church. They weren't rooted and growing inward as a church. Because the more we grow in spiritual maturity, the more hope-filled we will become. And then finally, a great church is filled with faith, hope, and what? Love. Now, what is love? Love is reaching out. Love is reaching out. Because folks... Putting feet on our faith, putting rubber to the road, getting out on the streets, getting out into our neighborhoods, getting out into our families and into our schools, into our workplaces to make a difference to represent Christ. God's plan to reach the world is not through programming, it's through people. Guess what? Your people. <laughs> you're his people you and I we are his plan for the salvation of the world guess what there is no plan B if we don't get it done it's not going to happen and so here's what we have found to be true so very often that we know that faith reaching up our relationship with God is essential that it's the foundation it's it's the center of our lives it's what gives us meaning and purpose we know that reaching in is important, that our, our hope grows as we, as we find our place in the body of Christ, as we serve each other, as we love each other within the church, as we grow in our knowledge of God's word in discipleship together. But folks, reaching out, can we just admit that reaching out is the hard one? Because as human beings, our tendency is to be very focused upon ourselves. In fact, I know that, uh, that Dr. Buckingham, as he consults with churches around, uh, around the Maritimes and across Canada, his focus in what helped lead this church to accomplish such great things throughout the decades was the acknowledgement that reaching out because it is the often the most neglected part of church life, it's the one that we have to emphasize sometimes, it seems like, more than the rest, just because it takes so much energy and effort to get us to move outside of ourselves. 
And what you'll find in my, in my work with other churches over the years in different coaching capacities is that a church that spends 5% of its resources on outreach will invariably have people say, you're doing too much, caring too much about newcomers and not caring enough about my family and what happens for my needs and not taking good enough care of me. That a church can devote 95% of its resources to inward reaching ministries. And just 5 or 10%, and many times we say, but what about me? What about me? And frankly, folks, I think this is why most churches in North America are dying. All across this country, in the last 20 or 30 years, churches have been turned into cottages and public gathering facilities and many are sitting derelict. Why? Because reaching out is hard. It takes sacrifice. It takes a level of selflessness that is not the norm. And it's one of the reasons I think that the Wesleyan Church in Canada actually has been growing. Because we've been willing to do risky stuff to do whatever it takes to reach people who need Jesus. I want to invite Nathan Adams, our, that's all for Jesus. You folks have come to know and love Nathan. Nathan is our outreach pastor here, just joined our team here just a few months ago. And Nathan is going to tell us just a little bit about how we are seeking to reach out this summer, in particular next weekend with an event that we can all be involved in. Thanks, Joel. Uh, I'm excited to mention this. Okay, to help you understand the significance of this, I want to tell you where I was born. I was born in Halifax at the Grace Maternity Hospital. Do you know why there's a Grace Maternity Hospital? Because the Salvation Army, a long time ago, started that hospital. Right now, I'm attending uh, Acadia University, working on my Master of Theology degree. Do you know that before there were the great big Axemen uh, football players? There were a bunch of Baptists that started that school. You see, in our history, the church has been central to the community. It has been involved in the community. It has done so many good things for the community that the community couldn't help but say, wow, something good is happening. In uh, Peter, it says, live such good lives among the pagans or the secular society that even though they say bad things about you, that because of your good deeds, they're going to have to glorify God. Amen. And so we want to re-engage with our Amen. community. Amen. And that's what I'm excited about with this event. Amen. So what is Love My City next weekend? Love My City next weekend is like putting our foot, our toe, in the water of reaching out as a church. And so we're taking an event that we have done the last few summers, uh, an outside church event, and we're, gonna, we're amping it up to be a Love My City event. So this is what it's going to look like. 4.30 next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have games, bouncy castles, uh, bubble soccer, fun stuff for the, for the, for the community. The whole community is going to know about it. There's been a sign up. We've got door knockers. We're going to distribute all around the community. We've got a social media campaign getting ready to go, so you can share that. Yes, share, share, share on all the social media platforms. 
Because uh, we can have a great event, but if people don't come who need Jesus, people out in the community, then it'll be a nice time together. We'll still enjoy each other's company, yes, and we'll worship together, but, uh, but it's mainly about outreach. So it's going to be fun, and uh, we're good at fun as a church. We've got that nailed, I think, actually. Uh, so we're going to bring a little fun down there. But you know, Edith Cabell is one of the most hurting schools in our whole city. It has, at times, a 40% absenteeism rate. So 40% of the kids aren't in school. There's that little parental support. On top of that, because it's a poorer area, uh, it's an area where the immigrant population is, is at the highest level in our city. So we have newcomers that are financially vulnerable and trying to integrate into the city. So we're going to have fun with these people. And then we're going to actually try to do some nice things for them. We're going to feed them with a barbecue. Um, we're going to have a bike clinic so all the kids can bring their bikes out and get them fixed for free. And to do something even more substantial, where we approached Edith Cavell School, which is right there by Victoria Park. They're just side by side. And we said, what could we as a church do to partner with you guys? And they said, you know what? We have a vision to do a garden project so these kids can learn how to grow food, can interact with adults, be mentored, and have relationships. Would you guys like to help with that? And what did we say? Of course. <laughs> what a great yes. opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we've got Fran and Mark Day from Kodiak Organics that are helping with that and consulting. They provided the plants in the atrium, so yeah, you guys if can you, be reminded. If you look in the atrium, you wonder, what, are we starting a garden out there? Well, it's just, it's a sample to show you what's going to be at the school. So we're yeah. trying to engage in a really substantial way with that school. We're trying to reverse the trend of the church being pushed out of secular society and secular society becoming more and more secular. We're trying to engage. And I'm going to tell you what. Every little step that we've made so far in this to engage has been blessed by God. Hmm. He has immediately shown, people have been like, wow, you guys are reaching out. You guys are doing something for us? Hmm. It has nothing to do with you guys? Yeah. And people's lives are already being changed. People have already come to Christ because we've done that. And the perception is already changing. In fact... <laughs> And, and I won't say who or what because we don't want to reveal any, any um, break any confidence or anything. Uh, but in the preparation for the event, like there's a family that was broken and dealing with some issues. And uh, Nathan and some folks were connecting with them, helping organize this event for the community. And, uh, and one of those couples showed up last Sunday to visit our church. Isn't that right? Isn't, yeah, isn't that fantastic? Absolutely. It's so cool. So uh, also, what, what we're going to do is uh, we are going to take up an offering at the event, and people are like, oh man, the church going out and asking the community for money. No, 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 no. What is the offering at the event when people from the community come to be involved? What are we going to encourage them to donate to? We're going to flip it right upside down. Sometimes people in our community think that Moncton Wesleyan wants their money. Moncton Wesleyan is going to give the community money. We're going to take an offering to sponsor this community gardens. And I think it's going to be phenomenal. Right there, we're going to be able to present Edith Cavell School a check from Moncton Wesleyan. Amen. It's awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, and so this is the metric that we hope to use as a church. How exactly are we going to do that? That's yet to come. But reaching up, growing in our faith, connecting with God, reaching in, growing in our knowledge of God's 
word, connecting with each other, and reaching out, growing in love, connecting with our community and people in the world who need Jesus. Would you stand? It's quite possible that in your life, if Paul were to write a letter to you today to evaluate your faith, hope, and love, that maybe there's an area that is out of balance. I know in my life, in my life I get out of balance on a regular basis, and that's the importance of continual self-evaluation and prayer and confession. That's why we come to church, to evaluate ourselves and open ourselves before God so that He can speak to us. And so as we pray, if you would just close your eyes all around this room. And would you for just a moment listen to the Spirit of God and ask Him right now, Father, is it possible that I have been weak in my relationship with you? I have not been pursuing you. Reaching up. the way that I should be. Maybe right now it's reaching in that you've not been plugging in and serving and growing, studying God's word, committed to the body of Christ. Maybe it's reaching out that you've been so worried about your own problems that maybe right now God is saying, I am sufficient for you. But the way that he begins to pour into your life is as you begin to pour into the lives of others. Is there someone right now who you need to target with the love of Christ? Maybe even right now he lays a name on your heart. Maybe a face comes to mind of someone, maybe someone at the grocery store, you don't even know their name but their face comes to, to, to mind right now that God is saying, I want you to reach out to them. I want you to pray with them. And so, Heavenly Father, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our God, we declare our need for you in this place today. Lord, that we would be a light to our community. Whatever burdens we bring, whatever confession we need to make, Lord, we know that you are here today, that you are the bondage breaker and the life empowerer. God, that you can do great and mighty things through us. And so we surrender ourselves to you. We pray now for churches around this city, Baptist churches and, and Catholic churches and charismatic and Pentecostal churches and Presbyterian churches and, and united churches, that any that would declare the name of Jesus as the salvation for the world and the word of God as the foundation for our lives, we are on mission with them together. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing on churches all around this city and this region that you would empower them. Bring revival. 
Lord, we pray for government leaders. We pray for those who have been placed in positions of authority. Lord, that you would guard them and protect them, but also that you would speak to them and draw them, woo them, attract them to your grace, Lord. That they would know that it is your truth that brings freedom and answers to our problems and solutions to what ails the world today. And so we stand here as the redeemed, declaring your praises that salvation would rise and revival would fall. In Jesus' name.